Our focus text today comes from the book of Esther uh, in the seventh chapter, and I invite you to follow along with me on the screen. So the king and Haman went into the feast with Queen Esther. On the second day, as they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, What is your petition, Queen Esther? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me, that is my petition, and the lives of my people, that is my request. For we have been sold, I and my people, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. If we had been sold merely as slaves, men and women, I would have held my peace. But no enemy can compensate us for this damage to the king. Then King Assyrius said to Queen Esther, Who is he, and where is he, who is presumed to do this? Esther said, A foe and enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king rose from his feast in wrath and went into the palace garden, but Haman stayed to beg his life from Queen Esther, for he saw that the king had determined to destroy him. When the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman had thrown himself on the couch where Esther was reclining, and the king said, Will he even assault the queen in my presence in my own house? As the words left the mouth of the king, they covered Haman's face. We've been really intentional this year in focusing on biblical stories that are less familiar to the average, average Christian community. Now, personally, I, I think that this is important. It's important to hear from portions of our community's faith story that often go unread in order to get a deeper perspective. And I would even say, well, a better appreciation of how the biblical writers understand the nature of God, what it means to be human, and the benefits that come from a faith community that explores these spiritual questions. I mean, I, I just love that we as a species have been seeking meaning and direction and understanding and a connection with God for thousands and thousands of years. And each week we bring our own voices and our own lives with the same struggles and questions that humanity has always had. And we reflect and learn from the voices of the past, our spiritual ancestors, if you will. These stories that we've been focusing on, they are so honest and real about life and in the end, help us to live with a sense of hope. So this week, we hear from the book of Esther. Yeah, Esther is a book that invites us into the world of the Persian royal court. The Persians are yet another superpower that has subjugated and now rules the people of Israel. The Persians are rich and powerful, and as with any empire, the Jewish people have to learn how to survive under their rule, under their laws, and of course, with the scapegoating that they are subject to, being that they are a minority community. It is in this context that Esther, a Jewish woman in the Persian king's harem, becomes queen in what is really a, a bizarre set of events. And it's in her role as queen that she is informed of a plot to destroy her people and then acts courageously 
diplomatically, shrewdly, to save her people and, in a twist, take down Haman, a Persian official and the arch-nemesis of the Jews. Esther is a book written to give people who are in captivity hope. Hope as they work to balance the need to assimilate as well as serve the Persians with this desire to maintain their own unique identity. I mean, this book, really, it has everything in it. It has irony. It has humor, exaggeration, plenty of hyperbole, this exaggeration, and other great storytelling techniques. But, but there is one thing that this book does not have that makes it unique, and I mean unique from all of the other biblical stories. It does not have God in the story. Now, God is noticeably absent, which has made Esther from the very beginning one of the most disputed books by both Jewish and Christian audiences. Now, you might think that's weird and odd that a book without God even makes it into the biblical canon, but for me, oh, I appreciate so much that the book of Esther has got absent from the story. As the story is told, Esther and her people have to try to navigate an incredibly challenging time without any kind of assurances from God or certainty that what they are doing is right. And if that is not honest about life, oh geez, then I don't know what is. So, let me tell you, very rarely do I have people come to me saying things like, Chad, you would not believe the experience I had this week. I was really struggling with a decision about whether or not I should accept a new job in Seattle. But then, out of nowhere, like a dream, I encountered what I can only describe as the presence of God, the voice of God. And now I have this peace and clarity about what to do. What an incredible God moment. <laughs> okay, not to say that never happens. I mean, it does, but more often, the conversations I do have on this topic, they go more like this. Chad, since my wife died, I hate my life. I feel no peace or healing. I'm not even sure if God is real. I still pray, but honestly, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what good it does. I don't hear, sense, or feel God. I, I, mean, I don't know if I ever did. I, I don't even know what to do. So, the struggle with God's silence or perceived absence is so common, but many people, for various reasons, won't verbalize it. It's like a secret that they carry with them that they are not quite comfortable sharing with others, at, at least not yet. Now, this is especially true of those who grew up in the church as children and simply took God's reality and presence as a given, only years later, through cultural influence and through personal experience, come to a place where they are incredibly uncomfortable with God's silence and absence in their life. Without knowing the particularities of your family, I am very comfortable saying that you know what I'm talking about, because either I am describing you or someone that you really care about. We've come to equate silence with something negative, like anger or absence. For example, when your partner is mad at you and gives you the silent treatment, that's bad, right? That means you messed up. 
I suppose I'll give you another example, just in case that one doesn't quite work for you, because it does not really work for me. I mean, Emily does not give me the silent treatment when I screw up. No, I, Emily's not silent. I'm always very aware of how badly I have screwed up. But, but let me do this, let me do this. Maybe this one will help better. Um, to this day, when our house loses electricity, I know that something is wrong. I know it immediately because the house goes silent. The refrigerator motor stops running. The lights stop buzzing. The, the house actually sounds like it dies as the white noise disappears. If it happens at night, that silence is so uncomfortable, so disquieting, so loud that it actually wakes me up. Silence in most instances in our life means that something's wrong. I, I don't know if you've ever been with someone at the end of life when their chest rises, falls, and, and then does not rise again. The noise of that person's breathing stops and, and the silence that follows is deep. And it's awful and it's powerful and it's overwhelming because silence is the sound of loss. Silence is the sound of death. Silence is the sound of your life in the process of changing. Silence is uncertainty and chaos. I mean, it, it could be as simple as a big decision you have to make without a clear sense of direction or as big as the loss of a loved one. But there are so many times where we want guidance, want to know what to do, want to know that it will be all right, want to feel that there is something more in life, something more to life beyond ourselves, a loving and merciful God. And what we get, what we feel is God's silence and the feeling of God's absence. And it's stressful. It's, it's for these reasons that I am so grateful for books like Esther, as well as other biblical voices that acknowledge this struggle of what it means to be human. I love that a book devoid of God is placed right in the middle of other books of the Bible that speak to people's experiences of God's grace, mercy, and love. I mean, the community who formed the canon of Scripture, who decided what books would be included in, in what is our Bible, they found it important to leave the tension that Esther creates right in place. They didn't change it. They didn't try to take it out. And I love this tension. It's not much different in the gospel stories where Jesus, having taught about the kingdom of God and his years of living that out through his life and ministry, his healing and feeding and forgiving and including his grace and mercy and love from, from the cross, when he cries out about the silence of God using the words of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or some translations say, why have you abandoned me? What, what the biblical story teaches us is that the silence of God is real. It's a real human experience and not something that you should be ashamed of. It also teaches us to have hope, trusting that it is in the silence, in the quiet, in the uncertainty of life that God is most present. You see, the story of our faith is a story about hope, not about certainty. It is hope that empowers Queen Esther to act shrewdly, not knowing if her actions will save her people or lead to her death. It is hope that allows us to move forward with a big decision in life or to take a step into the darkness after the death of a loved one, not knowing where the path will take us. 
it is hope that it is it, hope actually is the driving force of our community of what we gather around it is our hope that others will have faith on our behalf and show us the love and grace of God when we cannot see or sense God in our own life. It is our hope in the goodness of God, in a way, in the way of love that Jesus modeled and taught that moves us to care for those in this, in this space, in our community, as well as those outside of the Bethlehem walls. It is our hope that no matter where we go, God has already been there and meets us there, even in silence. Hope is not certainty. Certainty demands unquestioning loyalty to maintain its integrity and is in fact the complete opposite of faith. The good news that we hear today is that the story of Esther, uh, it teaches us that we are not called to be certain. Instead, we are called to have hope in the midst of our doubts, in the midst of our questions and uncertainties, wondering where God is at. In the midst of our, in the tough parts of life, we are called to trust and hope that God loves us and follows us wherever we go, which allows us to move forward, even when we're not sure where we're going. So, this is the good news that we hear today, that there is hope even in the silence of life. Thanks be to God for that. Amen. As a way of taking today's focus text and applying it more directly to your life, there are a couple of reflection questions for you to consider today. Question number one, when have you experienced the silence of God in your life? And I think we all have, but think about a time in particular for you. When, when has that happened? And question number two, reflect on the difference between hope and certainty. And why does it matter that the story of our faith and ministry of Jesus is based in hope, in faith, and not certainty? Mm -hmm.